Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 25th of August, 2020, and this is episode 305. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll, uh, well, we'll win, and then we'll lose, and then we'll, we'll wander around the bases. And then we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this week? Scotty, I, again, am double-fisting. I'm not sure what this says about me, but in one hand, I have a Loose Cannon IPA, and in the other hand, I have a Michelob Ultra. It's a good night here at the English Residence. Jake, I'm going a little bit more, we'll call it simple. Um, I might get judged a little bit here, Um, but I'm going with a Samuel Smith Organic Chocolate Stout um, out of of the UK. Nice kind of creamy note, um, starting to start to embrace a little bit of the fall beers. Um, I know it's just August, but you know summer is coming to an end, and you know my palate needs to be refined to embrace that of the stouts and you know the pumpkin ales that are coming around the corner. So, I was just about to ask you if it was time for your uh, pumpkin spice latte beers. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I just I, I cranked into a pumpkin spice latte first thing this morning, uh, going over to Starbucks because it's the first day they were released. Um, I'd say I'm probably about two weeks away from, you know, cracking up a, a pumpkin spice beer um, in the near future. Um, but yeah, definitely going to do it, do it in the very near future. All right. Well, if you are interested in hearing what Scott is going to do in the very near future, which is a dangerous statement to make, be sure to check him out on Untapped. You can find him at MAGN8606. And you can find out what Jake is drinking, a.k.a. the Michelob products, um, at Jake E. 4025. And with that, um, let's go ahead and check our livers and uh, let's go on through the medical wing. Time for your checkup, time for your checkup. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. Gonna listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. <laughs> it's okay if you giggle. Jake, starting us off, huh, I feel like we cursed him. Willabonk, uh went down with left elbow stress reaction. Um, in essence, his left elbow completely gave out. Um, you know, he was pitching during the first inning. Immediately, the team knew something was wrong. Velocity dropped. Um, he was put on the 60-day IL as of today, um, effectively ending his season um, and it, it could potentially just end his career. Um, you know, being at his age, um, this might be, you know, the final, you know, nail in the coffin. Um, it's a shame, um, you know, both for the end of his career and, you know, that he had to go through this injury. This was a great opportunity for him. But it's not like Willebonk was, you know, really doing, um, you know, significant work up here with the Orioles. Sure. No, it's, it's sad to see anybody get injured, uh, particularly, you know, when it may have, you know, career uh, impacts and you look at an opportunity to pitch for a club like the Orioles 
as an audition for the rest of the league. Um, but, you know, as you indicated, you know, performance, maybe not, not what you would have preferred, but I can say this about Wade LeBlanc as a pitcher, as a pitcher, I will say about Wade LeBlanc that he, um, was on the same team as Tommy Malone, who has beautiful children. That is true. I mean, looking at, you know, the line for Wade LeBlanc finishing out the season, um, an 8.06 ERA, 6.67 FIP, 5.9 XFIP. You know, he pitched six games, won 22 and a third innings. You know, he was a body. Um, and again, it wasn't a good body out there. Um, you know, I think the Orioles were hoping that he was going to be able to be, you know, 4.5 starter, go a little bit deeper into games. And we talked about this on the last podcast. Um, starting pitching generally has not been going deep into games. Um, you know, I don't know if the end was right around the corner for Wade LeBlanc um, in terms of, you know, people that were coming up like a Keegan Aiken. Um, but he certainly was, you know, almost low man on the totem pole um, in terms of people no longer need to be there. So it's a shame. Um, but at the same point, you know, Wade LeBlanc will become just another name um, echoed on this podcast that people will never remember after we finish this episode. I'm sorry, what did you just call him? Uh, I called him Wade LeBlanc. Because if, you know, his elbow is working, then he's Wade LeBlanc. Um, but without the elbow working, it's just Wade LeBlanc. That's 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 so sad. <laughs> he's hurt so bad, it took all of the, the character out Absolutely. of his name. Yeah. Oh, oh. Terrible. Okay. Next, let's talk about Chris Davis, who um, has a knee issue. And that means what? It means the Orioles found something uh, to say, hey, he's hurting here. We're going to put him on the injured list. And we're not exactly sure when he's going to be back. (laughs) Could be 2050. Could be 2055. We don't know. When is this? When do we stop paying him? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's, you know, really hurt, but he's really gone. And that's that's for sure. Yeah, I just don't even see where Chris Davis fits in the lineup at this point. Um, and we've talked about that for a while, but I think this is the Orioles finally coming to grips with. He doesn't have a spot um, even on the lineup, which is the Baltimore Orioles, which is a, a bad sign. Yeah, and, and the worst part is, is that now, <laughs> now we're watching this team without him and – it's not just that we're not going to miss him. It's that we are going to enjoy the difference, which is, again, a bummer. Uh, Chris Davis, the guy, uh, certainly worth rooting for. Uh, woof. Yeah. I, I guess I guess this is, this is the end. N- nice guy. Um, again, I, I think – I'm not even sure if it's the end. I mean, I think, you know, he's potentially going to come back due to ownership. I just wonder if – at some point Davis just says enough is enough. I'm willing to, in essence, help the team out um, by doing something with the organization, maybe as a coach, uh, community ambassador or something that I talked about before um, and step away from the field um, because he's no longer helping the club out. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got Jose Iglesias who still has a sore uh, quad now, he he can return this week, right, uh, from the I.L.? Yeah, he can return on Wednesday. Um, but Rock pointed out that, you know, they're not expecting him to return um, on Wednesday. Um, it, it sounds like they're still watching and basically making sure that he is going to be able to participate in full. 
Um, he is traveling with the team, though, um, so it's not like he's at the buoy location. So I, I do think that if he's traveling with the team, um, that maybe he gets in at Buffalo um, when they're going against the Blue Jays. Um, but I don't think it's going to be Wednesday based off of Rock's report. All right. Can I ask a dumb question about this? Sure. Why would a player who's not going to see the field travel with the team in the era of COVID-19? Is he getting some sort of treatment from the the trainers and the doctors traveling with the team that he couldn't get back at Bowie or Baltimore? So, I mean, if we look at the road trip, they're obviously in Tampa right now, uh, and then they're going to go to Buffalo. What I've heard is um, Iglesias really likes this one restaurant, Dan in Tampa. They serve a really nice uh, uh, turtle soup, um, a nice little (laughs) filet salmon, um, and then he really likes buffalo wings, so he's going to try that out as well. So, you know, it's important that we're supporting uh, local restaurants, even in the time of COVID, um, whether that's through carry out or dining, you know, cautiously uh, with proper social distancing. <laughs> okay, I, re- I regret having asked. Tell me, tell me about Hunter Harvey. What's his deal? Yeah, Hunter Harvey is also traveling with the team right now. Um, it sounds like, you know, based off what Elias is saying that they think he's going to come back. Um, and like you pointed out, you know, the fact that he's traveling with the team, there has to be a reason why, um, these players are traveling with the team. So maybe we see Hunter Harvey at some point during this road trip. I, I don't see any other reason why Hunter Harvey is on this road trip. Um, if he's not going to be activated. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't see why either. Austin Hayes still out with the rib fracture. Um, you know, that was originally a, a 10-day IL trip, but his injury is an interesting one. At first, they, they didn't know it was in there. Then it was like, oh, wow, there, there is a fracture. Is this the type of thing that could, that could linger on uh, a lot longer than we thought? It's possible. I mean, the other thing we talked about when the injury occurred um, was obviously Austin Hayes has a history of um, injuries um, as part of his career to this point. Um, I'm wondering if this might be a matter of once again, he's not recovering at the pace that the Orioles were expecting him to recover. Um, and his microfracture is not healing, um, as quickly as they were hoping for. So I, I think the Orioles looked at it and said, well, most players, you know, are better within seven to 10 days. Maybe Austin Hayes is going to take 15 to 20 days. Um, and again, these are things that, you know, in this given season, it probably doesn't matter. Um, but you take it up as a sum and you're you have to think about in the future of like if Austin Hayes gets hurt, I'm always going to have to have a backup center fielder that can play defense similar to him. Um, you know, fortunately, Cedric Mullins has done a really nice job defensively of going out there and doing it. Um, but again, if we're looking forward to the future, um, this has got to be a concern for the Orioles in terms of um, how consistent can the Austin Hayes get out there? Can he actually get out there and play 600 plate appearances or are we looking at more of a you know 400 plate appearance player? Um, because certainly the value is going to be significantly decreased if that's the case. Sure, sure, absolutely. All right, Pedro Severino has some right hip tightness. Um, now he's out today, the, the 25th, and he's going to be day to day, which means that we'll be seeing more chance Cisco, more Ryan Holiday behind the plate. I'm actually okay with this. I mean, I I, I love Pedro Severino. But Jan Sisko has been really impressive um, lately with plate discipline and, uh, you know, he gets on base. Um, so I'm okay with seeing a little bit more, you know, Jan Sisko um, and, and taking away a few reps from Pedro Severino if he's ailing something. Um, 
I've got no issue with this whatsoever. All right. I, I hear you, but what I'm hearing you say is you have no problem seeing chances go get the bats instead of Pedro Severino. I have to be honest, I have not been thrilled with what I've seen behind the plate, particularly receiving pitches and turning strikes into balls with, uh, let's call it anti-framing. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at framing metrics, we've talked about this uh, with Francisco. He's not a very good catcher. Um, you know, he doesn't do a good job of converting balls to strikes. He converts a lot of strikes to balls. Looking at the numbers, though, like Pedro Severino isn't that far behind. And Pedro Severino has also made a lot of defensive miscues in terms of just catching the ball on certain plays. Um, so I don't know how much of a defensive downgrade it is to put Francisco back there. Um, that's not to say that, you know, the Orioles shouldn't be looking for an improvement in the future with Adley Rutschman. Um, but I, I don't think in, let's call it, five to seven games that the defensive differences between Pedro Severino and Chancisco are that much major. I think the bigger question has always been, um, is Chancisco a major league baseball player um, in terms of hitting? Um, and to this point, I would have said no, but as of recently, he's been doing much better from a plate discipline standpoint. So I'd like to see if Chancisco could fill that role of a backup catcher. Um, and also could he serve as a you know pinch hitter slash DH um, when called upon by the Baltimore Orioles? Sure. You're basically trying to get him to win the Jake Fox award. I, I want him to be like, um, I want to be like Caleb Joseph. Uh, I want him to, you know, maybe not be uh wet meters. Um, that's a, a joke for Jake. Um, but I, I want him to be a serviceable catcher um, that can come up big in certain instances. Um and Caleb Joseph was a much better defensive catcher than Chancisco ever will be. Um, but I still think Chancisco has a role as a backup catcher on a major league baseball team to play maybe two, three games behind the plate each week, but then getting the occasional pinch hitting start and or DH role uh, for two or three more games throughout the week. All right. I know the medical wing is a little crowded this week, but we've got to talk about somebody that we found out came in and out and we didn't even know. And that's Cal Ripken Jr., who was announced this week, had had a surgery for prostate cancer and is already on the road to recovery. Talk about peak 2020 when you have the likes of Cal Ripken Jr. and, uh, you know, the childhood of many of us, uh, you know, uh, being struck down with cancer. That uh, that was a, a concerning headline before I read down to the rest of the article. Yeah, um, you know, I think. We have seen cancer hit the Baltimore Orioles, and I'm not just talking about Trey Mancini, but I'm talking, um, you know, there's been members of both, you know, the players organization, but also um, the infrastructure of the Orioles that have been impacted by cancer um, in, in the past few years. Um, certainly, it was a surprise, um, I think, to everyone that, you know, this came out and that it was kind of kept under wraps for as long as it was. Um but certainly it's it's something to watch going forward. Obviously, you know, uh, Cal has said, you know, hey, I'm good. I'm clean. Um, I'm, I'm feeling perfectly healthy. Um, but it's something to kind of note. I mean, I think, um, you know, we look at, you know, the folks that are in the organization, our Hall of Fame, our Mount Rushmore. And, you know, the things that bother me would be like, I hope Brooks is OK. Um, but now this is one thing that you're less like, wow, you know, Cal is going through some health issues, too. I hope he's okay. 
And it's weird to place a player that, you know, you grew up rooting for as a child in that kind of category now. Um, and I think that's maybe one of the first times that we have seen that um, in our lifetime. Well, I, I agree with almost everything you said there, except for the fact that instead of the Mount Rushmore, it's clearly the Abbey Road. Uh, that's of, true. Of, the, of course, there's also uh, Darren O'Day, who's in his 50s. Um, so we've got to watch out for him, too. Hey, hey, easy, <laughs> easy, Chief. I wonder I wonder now who is the Oriole closest to my age. That uh, uh, I, That's that's I, worth finding out. I, I know the answer to this right away. It's got to okay. be Will LeBlanc. No. I think he's 35. Uh, I'm going to look this up. He's he's a youngin. He's 35. <laughs> he's 36 <laughs> years old and uh, 18 days. Oh, jeez. Uh, oh, man. Darren O'Day, may he play forever. I'm just, I'm, I'm looking here. Uh, I don't, I don't like these dates that I'm seeing. <laughs> You're seeing a, seeing a bunch of dates in the nineties and the two thousands, aren't you? I don't, I don't, I don't like any of these dates. <laughs> I think, I think that these dates are fake news and are made up just to make me uh, feel bad about myself. Well, oh, oh, here, here's the good news, Scotty. No, no, there's, there is really good news here. Okay. The, the Oriole, uh, just, again, just scanning through the roster here, the Oriole closest to my age Maybe Chris Davis. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> well, you only have to look up, Jake. So uh, again, you're you're in good shape. So, oh no, you're right. Wade LeBlanc. Wade LeBlanc, born in 1984. That is the closest. All right, all right. I stand corrected. All right. Well, with that, uh, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you start us off? All right. The first uh, tweet comes to us from at naturally cats ben mcdonald having never owned a computer feels pretty on brand boy this made waves in the uh the orioles twitter sphere did it not scotty yeah i mean um ben was in rare form um and again i think it's you know due to um the broadcast booth but you know him talking about not owning a computer um he talked about like tv shows that he liked which were i would say um a little bit more right-leaning which doesn't really surprise me um, specifically Yellowstone, which kind of deals with um, land encroachment and basically making sure that people are encroaching on your land and doing whatever is necessary to protect it. Um, but yeah, it, it's like I said, there's a lot to like about Ben McDonald and his his Southern draw and uh, the way he kind of dissects the game. Um, there's also a lot of things that make me raise an eyebrow occasionally and be do like, you, oh. do you? Do you buy the fact that he's never owned a computer? I completely buy that he has never bought a computer. Okay. All right. I you know, I, I can't even I can't even think like what is an object that is so ubiquitous that everybody has it that you have never owned? Like is is there even something like that that you can cuz I've been racking my brains ever since he said it and I I can't think of anything. Um I'm trying to think of something that I I've had never bought. Uh, I never had like, like I, I don't have a wheelbarrow, but I don't think that's too like odd. Like that's kind of a, you buy one when you need one, I feel like. Um, but like a, a current modern day thing that like everybody has that someone doesn't have, like, I can't think of anything. I feel like uh, I'm very much keeping up with the Joneses. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's very odd to me to be like, well, I don't have a computer. It's like, excuse me. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's keeping up with the with the Joneses, except from the wheelbarrow department. Right. Well, All I, right. listeners, what have what do you not own that is is universally ubiquitous? You have to you have to help us out here. Scott and I are too boring for this topic. You, dear listeners, are certainly not. All right. Our next week comes from the Baltimore Orioles. Um, you know, the Orioles posted a video um, and it, it the tweet goes as follows. Let's be honest. We're all crying. So what the Orioles did is uh, we talked about this at the last podcast when Ryan Mountcastle was going to make his you know introduction as the MLBW. Would the Orioles let uh, their family, his family attend to basically see their first game? Um, and it appears based off this video, that was not the case. Um, but instead, the Orioles reached out to everyone in Ryan Mountcastle's family um, to basically do a video greeting to him um, and basically give him well wishes going into his MLDB debut. And it was really well done. And you could see that, you know, Ryan really, you know, took it to heart, um, you know, kind of breaking up at the very end, too, when, you know, his best friend is kind of rooting him on. Um, just a really good piece of. Uh, player development, um, but also a really good social media interaction just to kind of um, bring about the the weight um, that MLB debuts um, really can play um, in terms of the journey that ML, minor league baseball players have. All right. What else we got on the Twitters this week? Uh, so the next tweet comes from Paul Valley. Uh, you can follow him at Paul Valley 3. Uh, that is the Roman numeral 3. Um, he's also doing uh, the a bat around podcast on uh press box online. So give that a look. Um, that's normally being held every Saturday um, at this given time. Um, and he tweets as follows. The idea of trading Tanner Scott makes me boiling, cursing, spitting mad. When the team is back in contention, they will need back end arms like this. I don't want to hear another word about it. Jake, I don't know. This doesn't really bother me. Um, yes, Tanner Scott has been really impressive so far this season. And yes, he is under team control for another four years. But isn't this the same situation we got ourselves into before with Michael Givens, um, where we said, well, he's untouchable. He's too good. We don't want to trade him. I mean, in a scenario right now for the Baltimore Orioles, shouldn't everybody be available? Like, is there a single person on this roster? Uh, that you would, in essence, give the Givens treatment of saying that person's untouchable. We're unwilling to trade him. Well, are we are we talking about Tanner Scott or Taylor Scott? We're talking about Tanner Scott. Tanner Scott, and he's the lefty, right? Yes, the one that throws like okay. ninety nine to one hundred miles per hour. Yeah, yeah. No, I um, I am unmoved by the the trade talk, and and here's why. Until any of these guys really prove themselves for a long period of time. I refuse to get excited about any of them, right? I mean, look at the the ink that's been spilled in Baltimore. The time wasted on this podcast, no less, as we fell in and out and in and out of love with guys like Miguel Castro, right? Until Tanner Scott, if that is his real name, shows me that he can do it for an entire season. And by the way, this 60 season, uh, the 60 game season doesn't count. Then no, he's not untouchable. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like I said, I don't think there's a single person on this club that I would say is untouchable at this point. Um, and, and like you said, uh, relief pitchers, no matter how good they are, if the 
you know, offer from a team is good enough, you take it. Um, you know, you can always go find another relief pitcher um, due to a failed starter. Um, and, and again, everything that we've seen from Tanner Scott before this season was very meh. Um, and again, we've only seen him for, we'll call it 13 or 14 innings. And yeah, he's done great during those 13 or 14 innings. But it's an extremely small sample size. And we have seen other relievers do equally as well during a small sample size. Um, and then ended up flaming out for the rest of their career. So, I'd like to think, though, that if we traded Tanner Scott, we would get the equivalent of an Eduardo Rodriguez, and then we could just watch another fan base tear itself apart on Twitter for years. I, I'd be perfectly happy with that. All right, the next tweet comes to us from the MLB Network, who tweet at MLB Network, and I love this tweet for so many reasons. It says, bringing 20 years of big league managerial wisdom to your, and then the television set emoji, hashtag welcome to MLB Network, comma, Buck Showalter. Here's what's exciting about this this tweet, Scotty. The welcome Buck uh, image that, that accompanies it is Buck Showalter in Orioles garb looking sassy as always. We talked about this a lot when Buck was here. I wanted so much for for Buck to do well enough here to be uh, remembered as Buck Showalter, notable Orioles manager, right? Despite the fact that he you know started up the Diamondbacks, despite the fact that he managed the the Yankees, I, I wanted him to be remembered as the Baltimore Orioles manager during the the you know the good years, uh, and it looks like that. I don't want to call it legacy, but that remembrance is well on its way. Secondly, anytime we get Buck Showalter behind the microphone. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of gold that comes out of this. Again, I don't know if we'll really see it so much this season. Um, But in a full season, there is going to be a lot of fun commentary. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing, um, you know, a a panel of like Bill Ripken and Buck Showalter Mm. talking um, and in essence, basically just trashing the Yankees or trashing um, the Red Sox um, and, and just seeing how it goes. Because um, we saw Billy do that many a times. And I think that we may see a similar thing from Buck if someone does something stupid um, in the AL East. And like I said, there's going to be a lot of um, fun commentary and a fun content, I think, coming out of Buck Walter's lips um, in the near future. You just got to hope that he and Bill Ripken are on the broadcast when they get to swap out the uh, the uh, magnets with the Orioles logo in, in yes. the first place. You know, get get Bill or Buck up on the ladder to fix that up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Did I miss anything else from what's going on in Orioles Twitter this week? No, I think you read every word of Orioles Twitter and you curated the perfect list, the the list that, that captured – Everything that happened. That was the week that was, Scott. All right. Well, with that, um, why don't we go ahead and uh, stretch out a little bit? And why don't we go Mm -hmm. ahead and uh, run around the bases? I like it.
right, so, you know, going over to first base, you know, we talked about, you know, several players hitting the injured list, but we've got to talk about a farewell as well, and this is a farewell to Dwight Smith Jr. You know, we talked about this in spring training, and I know it was forever ago in February, but, you know, I didn't see a role for Dwight Smith Jr. coming into the season. Um, Again, the bat really wasn't playing. We already knew what his defensive ability was. Um, You know, I'm it was great that he had some you know success at MLB the show, but you know it, it came back down to you know the talent wasn't there that we were expecting. Um, there are other folks you know within the outfield um, that had a better chance than him, um, and you know he had a chance. DJ Stewart obviously didn't deliver, and Joyd Smith Jr. had a chance to basically you know resurrect his career and be, get a place in here. Um, but again, he never clicked, and again. Just too many fundamental errors, um, both in the field, um, but also some good tuplons as well. Um, you know, led to the Orioles releasing Dwight Smith Jr. I mean, I mean, Jake, w- what do you think about this move in terms of the Orioles releasing Dwight Smith Jr. too soon, uh, too late, um, or just feels just about right? I will say that it's surprising to me that a team that is so thin in the outfield. Uh, could DFA one of its outfielders, right? Um, we ha- we've got Mason Williams, the composer of Classical Gas, uh, playing outfield for the Baltimore Orioles right now. And, you know, luckily the um, threadbare nature of the cupboard meant, meant that Ryan Mac- Mountcastle could come up and make his debut, and that's great. But I, I, I was surprised to see them part with Dwight Smith Jr. What, what I will say is that <clears throat> I think that he has performed – well enough that he will probably remain within the organization after he clears waivers. Okay. That, that, that is definitely a, a possibility. You're absolutely right that, um, you know, he might just end up back onto uh, like the 40 man roster or, or something like that in the future. But, you know, for the time being, I, I don't see how he gets back up onto the major league roster. You know, I, I think you're right, Jake, you know, it's a, it's an awkward position for Dwight Smith Jr. Cause again, he had a great opportunity and to be designated for assignment for Mason Williams, who's 29 years old, kind of another journeyman, um, in a, in a situation too, where, you know, Austin Hayes isn't up here anyway, either. So you've got Cedric Mullins kind of patrolling out there in center field. I, I guess it comes back down to, you know, what does Dwight Smith Jr. do well? Um, you know, what does he bring to the table that nobody else on this team can do? So, um, He's not hitting, you know, he's got, you know, below 100 weighted runs created plus not a good defense, um, not great speed on the base pass, you know, poor decision-making on the base pass. You know, there's nothing that you can essence go to him and say, you may not play every day, but in these situations, we want you to be playing here. Um, and I, I can't pick that out for him. Um, where are certain other players that can say, you may not be great in these given scenarios, but we're willing to put you um, in this spot and you'll be able to perform well at that given time. Yeah. He, he also, he needs to be a complimentary player rather than a part-time player. And I, I say that because I don't think he has the skill sets to be a fourth outfielder, right? Um, he, he needs to be more consistent and, and earn more playing time because he, he can't be a defensive replacement. He can't, play all three outfield positions. He's not a speedster, right? So he he can't do some of these things that you're, you know, with respect to the rest of these guys, spare part players can do, right? So he, his makeup demands that he be good enough to be on the roster 
and you know at least platooning in the outfield and he just he hasn't done that yeah he reminded me um similar to like a jay payton uh from back in the day Hmm. with the orioles like he could go out there and play um he wouldn't particularly do it well um but he could go out there and play um but on on a on a whole you look at him be like but it's just a body. And if we just need a body, like there's so many other outfielders that we can get. I mean, I know Mason Williams came up, but you know, uh, there was conversations by Elias of saying, you know, they think using LDS is going to be available um, in the near future. I think it'd be really interesting to put using LDS out there in left field just to see how he would do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we have a plethora of outfielders. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that we've got a plethora of outfielders, um, in the ranks within the Orioles system. Um, so again, what role does Dwight Smith Jr. really serve? Um, you know, not just for this year, um, but what do the Orioles want to see going through the end of 2020 to get them ready to know what they're going to do for 2021? Yeah, and, and I'm delighted that we do have Pound Castle instead of Smith. Uh, it, it's good to see the Orioles, you know, pull that trigger so that we get the opportunity to see him. Yeah, and I, I still don't know if Mount Castle is going to be a left fielder. Um, I, I still think that is a, a major question mark, but, you know, certainly Dwight Smith Jr. wasn't doing anything um, to, you know, reinvent me and say, hey, this is a person that is giving additional benefit for him to be out in left field. Um, like I said, I'm perfectly fine you know, going with the Mount Castle experience um, and experiment as it is um, just to see what happens. So, well, like, we, we've rounded first yeah, and we're heading into second base. So let's let's get there to second base and, and talk about Ryan Mountcastle. Ryan Mountcastle makes his debut with the Baltimore Orioles, the, the long-awaited debut. Scotty, what are your thoughts so far? Um, so I, I, I'd say that I'm actually a little underwhelmed. Um, and, and here's why I say that. Um, you know, I think defensive wise, he's doing what he's doing. Um, I think he has a nice swing, but I was expecting at least a little bit more pop coming off the bat. Um, and I know that he's had, you know, the two double game recently. He had an RBI single tonight where he kind of laced it into right field. I don't know. Um, like I said, I, I think I was just expecting maybe a little bit more. Um, and I, I haven't seen it yet is the best way to put it. Um, and that's what scares well, me. <laughs> let me ask you what your expectations were. And and I think, you know, when we have been waiting for Mountcastle for this long, you know, clearly he's not going to be the next Manny Machado, right? Oh, he's no, not going to come up and be the phenom. I, I wonder what the right expectation is for him. I, I've been, I, I don't think I've been overwhelmed or underwhelmed. I think I've just been whelmed, right? I, I'm perfectly happy with what we, what we've gotten from him so far. And, yeah, he's a rookie, and so we've seen him overmatched at the plate at times. Yeah, but we've I, also seen him, you know, taking walks, and we've seen him taking tough pitches, and we've seen him, you know, going out to dig out balls, you know, at his ankles for for hits. And so I think we're going to have to take the good with the bad for a little while. The real test, I think, will be how quickly does he make the adjustments that make him, you know, a truly major league hitter? Because it's his bat that's going to keep him here, right? That's that's yep. why he's here. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that develops and grows and what kind of ceiling we can expect. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. I mean, you're absolutely right. The reason he is up here is for his bats. I mean, if you look at his scouting reports, um, you know, out of a scale of, you know, 20 to 80, he's, you know, at a 50 to 55 for hit. I mean, he's at a 60 for raw power. 
Um, and he's only 23 years old, um, 23 years old in six months. So I wouldn't say that he's even at the peak as it relates to, um, you know, power. Um, but you're right, Jake. Like, there's been a lot of positive things to see at the plate. Um, I, when I look at him, um, and, and this is not a bad thing, when I look at him, I say he's probably at best a Trey Mancini. Um, hmm. And again, that's not a bad thing. Um, but it's also not anything that is like, oh, wow. Um, but again, I, I think it comes back down to he's not going to be a superstar. He's not going to be a Manny Machado. But he could be a serviceable piece, just like we've talked about before, like a Rio Ruiz, a Hanser Alberto, um, that could be um, impressive. Um, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, um, but maybe in, in 2022, um, potentially putting up one of those, I'd say, two to three war seasons. Um, and I think that's about as good as it's going to get uh, for him. I think he's going to be similar to a Trey Mancini, both in terms of offensive performance um, and then defensive performance as well. Um, and again, I, I don't consider Trey Mancini to be a very good defender. Well, this is one of those cases where I um, recognize the value and accuracy of your analysis and yet hope you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's not bad, though, that if he's just Trey Mancini. I mean, if, if we look at Mancini's numbers, I mean, he, you know, 2017, 1.6, you know, F4. 2018 obviously had a really bad season, but it was kind of coming off that injury. And then last year he had a 3.6 F4 with 132 weighted runs created plus. I think Mountcastle could be in that similar vein of like 115 to 120, 125 weighted runs created plus. It's really the question of if he's going to play left field, um, you know, who doesn't get that left field position or does Mountcastle transition into either being a first baseman or a DH going forward? Um, and then you just take the lumps for it. I, I think, you know, this just comes back down to, you know, we have a lot of, again, first baseman DHs slash, you know, left fielders and Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Chancisco could be that person as well. Um, you know, it just kind of, again, points out Chris Davis probably shouldn't be on the roster anymore. If you've got, all these other similar players that are much younger and have a greater ability to grow and blossom into, into better players at this given time in their part of the career. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, in the meantime, we get to watch Ryan Mountcastle. We get to, you know, get excited every time he comes to the plate. Uh, I think it was tonight here on the 25th. He had his first RBI. Um, uh, so yeah, we, we, uh, we, we get to watch, you know, the next chapter start and, and uh, hopefully, yeah, it's him in a starring role. I, absolutely. And like I said, I think the way you put it too, which was really well done, which is it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to when people change. Uh, and, and going back to Trey Mancini, um, he started off well for his career, and then he had to make changes because people kind of got the playbook on him. And Trey was really good at that. Trey was really good at kind of adapting to pitchers and adapting, adapting to the scattering report. I, I think, you know, based off of articles that had been put out there by like John Mioli, in terms of how the Orioles are doing um, individualized, you know, trainings, individualized data packages for each of the players now, um, I think we're going to see a similar approach um, as it relates to um, how they want him to perform. Um, it'll just be a question of does the talent allow him to adjust um, to it? Um, and looking at the swing, I think it's definitely possible. Um, again, it, it's a really impressive swing. I just want to see a little bit more of that power. Um, that we were expecting coming into the season. 
Fair enough. Scotty, take us into third base. Yeah, sure. So, you know, trade deadline is coming up um, as of next Monday, August 31st. So when we get back on the podcast, we will know who is, you know, going to be on the team for the remainder of the season uh, and, and leading the Orioles into a playoff push, um, as we all expected at the very beginning of the season. Um, but my question lies in, you know, you know, who's going to be gone? And I think Michael Givens is my top candidate for the most likely candidate to be gone. Um, you know, you look at his performance over the past 14 days, he's posting up a 1.35 ERA, a 2.08 FIP. You know, K rate's been nice. Walk rate's been a little high. There's a lot of other weird peripheral numbers in terms of the BAPIP and the left on base um, that kind of, you know, indicate that Michael Gibbons might be succeeding with a little bit of the luck dragon uh, as of late. Um, but I think if you look at Michael Gibbons and you say, hey, um, you know, he could potentially assist a team that is in that, you know, fourth or fifth slot in the playoffs. And then you also have him again for next year. Um, I think there's going to be some team out there that's willing to give him a shot. Um, and I don't think the Orioles are going to get anything back um, major. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, maybe a, you know, top 15 prospects somewhere between eight to 15. And that's probably it um, at, at the best. Um, but I, I don't see how Michael Givens is on this team um, after next Monday. Hmm. See, I, I see the Orioles standing pat. I, I think that there are few teams out there that are going to be really willing to make investments um, because of a lot of reasons. First, because I think a lot of clubs are, are hurting um, from a financial standpoint because they don't know what's going to happen next year with the CBA. I, I'm not sure that you're going to see a lot of moves, period, in the in the uh, you know at the at the trade deadline the way you might normally it, it wouldn't surprise me scotty to see you know the orioles stand pat that, that having been said i absolutely acknowledge that gibbons is probably one of the better uh trade chips the orioles have um but yeah my my money is on him him being here so i i think you are right like you know, outside the trade deadline day, um, you know, if we look back at historical, you know, not many trades actually happen on the trade deadline day. There's a lot of trades going up to the trade deadline. Again, it has been relatively quiet um, besides the Red Sox, you know, in essence, shipping a bunch of their relievers uh, to the Phillies. Um, but you, you, I think you're right of, I think it's going to be a very quiet deadline. Um, I think though, you know, if you look at the Orioles, the only thing they have to barter with is probably relief pitching. And I think Michael Gibbons is probably the best option there. Um, but I, I do agree with you that, you know, out of anybody, um, you know, I think he's probably the best bet. But I, I'd say it's probably a 50-50 chance at best. It sounds like you think it's probably going to be a lot lower where it's more like you know, 10 to 20 percent. Um, and just a lot of teams just to say, we're not doing anything because who knows what's going on with this season. Yeah. Uh, and And it's. It's weird because, you know, with this 60-game season and expanded playoffs, you'd think that this would be a season where maybe more teams would stretch a little bit because they, they feel like they've got a better chance. I just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it. Well, I guess we will find out and we can talk about it next week on the podcast. But you know, wait, 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 waiting and, and reflecting on stuff that's already happened? Oh, right. no, Scott, we're all about wild guessing and baseless conjectures. All right, so Michael Givens traded uh this weekend uh while in buffalo um and he is traded to you know some team in the national league 
uh, for uh, some international prospects. Mark my words. Nice. T- two, two, uh, two teenagers. Uh, I'm thinking that we're going to trade them to the Marlins because you know that's where we always send our our, our relievers, um, and we get Victor Victor Mesa back. Um, <laughs> because no, because we'll, obviously we'll we need a, outfield help. We'll get a guy named Mesa Mesa Victor. Oh, Mesa Mesa Victor, totally different. <laughs> uh, we've 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 scraped we've the bottom. Lost it. We've lost it. <laughs> All right, take us home, Scotty. Take us home. All right, so we've got to talk about the booth. Um, and there's been a lot going on in the booth. Um, you know, article came out from Dan Connolly indicating that, uh, well, the real reason Gary Thorne hasn't been doing broadcast is because Gary Thorne and Masson were in a contract dispute uh, and they couldn't come to a firm resolution on it um, up until this week. Um, so Gary Thorne and, and Masson um, have come to an agreement. Um, Gary apparently likes to do one year contracts. Um, which doesn't surprise me. You want to keep the bar tab pretty low. Um, and, and he's going to be making appearances via like Zoom and stuff like that for this year. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see, does this resolution, is this resolution completely done? Um, and do we get Gary Thorne back for 2021? I mean, my opinion is you give whatever Gary Thorne wants and you just say, here's your money. Like, we're perfectly happy with that. Um, but it's it's interesting uh, to see uh, Masson, you know, be maybe a little physically conservative uh, and maybe being aware of, hey, we can you know pay cheaper talent um, like they do with the younger folks um, and, and get by with it, especially when you know finances may be a little tough for the network and for the team um, in this COVID-19 environment. All right. I'm, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, first, Gary Thorne has been with the team since 2007, which seems incredible. I mean, he's he's been with the club for a lot longer than than I realized. Um, maybe because the Orioles were not noticeable before then. Um, I'm surprised to hear that he and Masson had a contract dispute, right? Like you just said, you pay him whatever whatever he wants. It seems like until Gary Thorne retires, that they they just you know, they've hitched their star to him. He's entertaining. He calls a good, a good game. You know, we're just going to let him retire here. That having been said, I feel like with the rest of the investments that the Orioles have made into the booth, they've also dipped their toe into the post-Gary Thorne world. Yep. Right? Um, and I, I think you and I are, are in agreement that uh, it was definitely a misstep to bring in Garceau. Um, again, nice guy. I love listening to him talk. I don't, don't like to listen to him call a baseball game. Um, but it will be interesting to see if he comes back. And, you know, the other thing is that maybe he doesn't come back for the full schedule. Yep. You know, he was already calling, you know, fewer games, you know, and unfortunately at that time it was, that meant more, uh, Jim Hunter on the call. Uh, but you know, maybe we still see a rotation where, um, you know, Kevin Brown is is doing mass and games and, you know, maybe some of the radio uh, folks continue to to come on to mass. And though Gary and Jim Palmer are a presence, they're just a more limited presence. You know, maybe the vast majority of, of them are home games, plus, you know, Chicago so they can get turtle soup. Uh, but I, I definitely think that we've seen the peak Gary and we're now on our way down. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I think it's unfortunate because I do think that uh, Gary Thorne and Jim Palmer are, you know, one of the best broadcaster, you know, tandems um, in Major League Baseball. And again, that's a, not just us as an Orioles podcast saying that. I, I know that there has been um, broadcaster polls put out there with on like Fangrass and stuff like that. And I think they've always ranked in the top five. Um, I mean, just Gary Thorne is just so good at what he does in terms of calling a game and and not calling a game at the same point um, that, you know, some people love him. Some people hate him. I think the majority of fans that understand what broadcasting should be about um, love Gary Thorne and the enthusiasm that he brings to the baseball game. So I I, lo- huh? I do really look forward to hearing more from Gary. Um, and, and like I said, I, I do agree with you, Jake, that we're starting probably going to start winding it down. Um, and I think maybe we'll go to maybe 40 to 60 games with Gary Thorne at most um, and, and, and kind of turn it back over to Garceau and Kevin Brown on a, on a, on a more frequent basis as, as time progresses. I think the best thing about Gary Thorne's uh, addition to, to the game is that he, first of all, is not afraid to have a little fun and baseball is supposed to be fun. But secondly, he is, he is both, enthusiastic and supportive of the organization of the ball club. And at the same time, not willing to accept poor quality. Right. Right. He, he, he has that perfect, he, he succeeds where we fail. Right. I would say <laughs> that he, able- he doesn't make excuses. Like if he sees something that was a stupid play or not, a not, not thought out, he will call it out right there being like, well, that was just a really bad idea. Um, where, you know, Jim Hunter, who we used to get on all the time, would make excuses. Um, and, and I think, you know, we are all tired at this point of hearing excuses. We just want, you know, what we see with our eyes to be called out um, and not be fabricated. Um, and I think Gary's done a good job at that. Um, and I think, you know, that's what we're looking for. And that's the kind of stuff that scares me with like Scott Carso, where um, either he doesn't call it out or again, he's just not quick enough to kind of call it out um, in any kind of a, a, any witty and or charged mindset. Sure. All right. Tell me about your, your reflections on Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald as the duo, because again, if we're going to get less of Gary and uh, Jim, Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald have to be the, the, uh, the a minus squad, right? I, I, I would agree with you. I mean, if it's, if it's not Palmer in the booth with Gary Thorne, I feel like Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald are are your A minus or B plus squad. But I tell you what, Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald during this Red Sox series um, were absolutely on fire. I mean, they did so much good material, um, so many good calls, great dissection. I mean, there was conversations on Statcast, there was conversations on Pitching Ninja, um, there was conversations about how the ball was held. There was aspects of like how you would approach this batter in terms of positioning on the plate, coming in on the plate, coming out on the plate. Um, just a ton of good aspects. A lot of kind of witty banter. We, we talked about the, the computer segue. Um, and, and it was interesting because, you know, you could actually hear a little discomfort in Ben McDonald's voice of like, he was almost getting used to it for the first time. Uh, I felt like in terms of like, he wasn't used to that, to that playful banter as much as, you know, he had seen before. Um, but I felt like by the end of the weekend um, that Ben was starting to get it um, as much as Ben McDonald can get it. Um, but but Kevin Brown really did an amazing job um, being playful, doing great play-by-call, calling balls off the bat really well. Um, I, I thought he did an exceptional job. And like I said, um, I think he's getting very comfortable 
um, in the position. Whereas last year it was, all right, I'm new. I don't want to, in essence, disrupt what people have become norm to. Um, and now he is starting to embrace of, this is my personality. This is what interests me about the game. I'm going to try to pull people um, into conversations that I'm particularly interested in as well. Um, and I think they've done a really good job too of pairing like Brett Hollander and Melanie Newman when you know they're not in the broadcast booth calling the game um, to also kind of be that play-by-play and you know additional analysis um, when you know Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald can't pull it through. Yeah, again, they've they've really invested in the stable and I think improved the quality all around. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, we knew the time was coming with Gary and Jim. Um, I think, you know, listening last year to Kevin Brown, I think we're just like, okay, this guy's got something. Um, I think continue to listen to it and seeing him continue to kind of blossom. Um, I think there's a lot of potential um, is the best way to put it. I, I, I still don't know if I would put him at the Gary Thorne category, um, but I would say that Kevin is young enough in his career um, that there's a lot of potential there for him to become really great. I think one one area where Masson can definitely improve, though, is in their musical montages. Oh, my gosh. Highlights. I tell you what, like the, the musical interludes, those are just absolutely tragic. And I know Camden Chat has been mentioning this for years. So this is not like a, a, a 2020 uh, disaster like everything else is in 2020. Um, this is whoever does the Masson transition things must be like, all right, I've got this great video, guys. Um, what can we pair with it with music? And they're just like, well, we've got this this free music that we can use. Yeah, can we use something else? Nah, we really can only use the free music. <laughs> um, and it, it's just really bad. <laughs> I, I I know that it, it tweaked you this week, so I figured I would just needle you as much as possible. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it normally doesn't bother me too much because normally you get some like Christian rock or something like that. Um, but but this week specifically, it was kind of jarring. Um, and like I said, uh, I'm not sure. Again, I know money is tight right now for the Orioles. Um, but man, I, I tell you what, just if you, if you can't do just a simple overload or you know something that is not that hard, um, there's plenty of free music out there that is not so. Uh, let's go with over the top. Um, again, j- just give a th- thought to that in terms of creative licensing. <laughs> All right. Anything else about the uh, about the broadcast? The only thing else, the thing I would mention too is, you know, there's a lot of kind of bringing in of Statcast data. I, I know that we've done this before with like exit velocity and launch angle, um, but a lot of really good kind of visualization cues, a lot of aspects in in terms of stuff when Statcast was first coming out of. We wanted to be able to see how likely it was for that you know player to catch that ball, um, and I felt like there was a lot of good. Um, visuals on that and there was a lot of good call outs by Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald's in terms of um, expected batting average off that ball um, you know some of the great plays that were made by um, PR this week and um, you know Kevin Brown called on saying that had you know in 850 you know average to potentially get into the field um, and again great catch was made and there was an out um, and I, I know the more conservative fans out there are going to say well, it was an out, so there was a zero chance that it could be, you know, caught. And it's just like, but no, that's not the case. Like in a in a typical MLB stadium um, with a league average defender, this is what is the case. So um, sometimes you just have to tip the cap and be like, hey, um, I did everything that I could on my side as a batter. Um, the defense did a, an amazing job of being positioned in the right place. 
um, but also, you know, putting on the defensive talent out there to really benefit. And that comes back to the whole aspect of why we attribute runs to defensive performances um, uh, accordingly as well. All right. So we, we've come all the way around the bases. Scotty, can we break the rules? Uh, but of course we can. I've got a couple of additional con- uh Topics. I'd like to make them smaller nuggets than than an actual base. I'm just going to call this just the total BS that I was thinking about this week. So let me just hit you with a couple of quick questions, and uh, and you can join me for some some total BS. Scott, let me ask you first and foremost: How are you planning personally to celebrate Anthony Santander's breaking of Joe DiMaggio's consecutive hit record? Uh, so. When that happens, I believe the season will be coming to a close. Uh, I am going to go on to uh, Kayak. I'm going to book myself a flight and tickets to the to the UK. I'm going to go to the UK Scout Jamboree that is being held in the United Kingdom. Um, and uh, I'm going to celebrate with the biggest Anthony Santander uh, fan club out there in the world. See, I loved everything about this, except we're not allowed in that country. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. Next question for you. Am I allowed to be excited about Andrew Velasquez's bunting? Is that, is that okay? Uh, someone, I think it was Steve Molesky was talking about this too, or in terms of Cedric Mullins and his bunting as well. Um, I'd say in certain players' cases, a good bunt is probably the best they're going to do. Um, I'm okay with someone like Andrew Velasquez or even Cedric Mullins going out there and bunting. What I have an issue with is really good players going out there and bunting and taking the bat away from their hand. Um, I wouldn't say excited. Um, I would say, can you be mildly amused? No, no. He's got the the type of skill set that it feels like he can lay one down at any time for a hit. For a hit because he's got speed. Right, right. Um, that's that's exciting to me. That that's fair. Um, I think we have seen faster players than Andrew Velasquez. Um, sure, and I, I think ultimately the strategy of bunting for base hits, um, not the best of ideas. Okay, okay. Do you think that it will ever come back in vogue? Bunting? Yeah. Um. I mean literally the whole left side of the field has been empty in some instances and people have still refused to bunt. So, um, mm-hmm. no, I don't, I don't think it's going to come back and vogue. That's a shame. That's a shame. Okay. Next question. Uh, spent some time over at the Orioles site over at, uh, you know, MLB looked at a few things just, you know, I like to keep my pulse on, on what's going on. Let me ask you this. Are you going to run out and spend $20 on an Orioles branded mask? No chance. I, w- Scott, I wouldn't spend. Understand. I wouldn't spend twenty dollars on any branded mask at this point. Not a Maryland you, flag. You, nothing. You can get a mask, the same one they wear in the dugout. Nope. Isn't that exciting? Nope. Still not doing anything for me. All right. Here's my problem with the Orioles mask. First of all, love that the Orioles have got you know the mask on. I love that they're. Um, I love their logos <laughs> on Masson right now have the mask on. But that is where they've lost me. We've talked in the past about. The Baltimore Orioles cap being a bird with a hat on that has a bird with a hat on it. Like it just goes on into infinity. Why does the Orioles mask not have a bird with a mask on on which is a bird with a mask on all through infinity? That's a good question. That's a missed opportunity. 
a good question. I did hear, though, that the Orioles are going to be putting out one that is a black mask, and then it just has an orange O on it um, with the apostrophe <laughs> in, in the wrong direction. Um, just for you, Jake. Why do you Why do you hurt me, Scott? Why? All right. I uh, This is a mea culpa. I, I have, I've done this wrong, and I hadn't done the research until this week, and that is on me. But I have flubbed the pronunciation of Ramon Urias for the entire season, and now I have it right. It's Urias. And again, the only reason I know is because I went to video of one of the best in the business uh, working his craft, and that, of course, is Ryan Wagner. And if that's the way Ryan Wagner says it, it has to be true. Yeah, I think Ryan has talked about this before. Of, he said it's actually one of the most difficult names for him to pronounce due to the dialect that is present there. Um, and this has been something he was working on significantly during this time. Uh, I'm not going to even get a shot. Um, I'm too much <laughs> of a, a, a Baltimoreese uh, individual. Uh, I'm really impressed, Jake, that you were able to roll um, the R in that given given manner. Um, yeah, I'm going to continue to butcher it because you know, I'm just not that good of a human being. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ryan Wagner is... Um, doing God's work out there in terms of, um, you know, going out there and a learning how to pronounce the players' names in the way that they need to have it be pronounced, um, based off their kind of native tongue and their native region. Um, and the rest of us Baltimoreans are just going to continue to mispronounce it, um, and, and throw in extra O's when, uh, they don't really belong there. That's Arius. Yes. Lastly, we've hit the halfway mark, right? We're, we were just, we're just at the halfway mark of the season, and something feels like it's missing. I feel like losing this baseball point of the season. We would be we would be doing something. Um, normally we'd be tuning out and just thinking about who we're going to draft. <laughs> um, we might have done that, Scott. This is going to be the first year since 2013 that we won't have a mid-season award show. Oh released on this podcast it seems such a waste it seems like a a terrible tragedy to rob you know both people that listen to the bevies of of their opportunity so i'm just gonna go out on a limb here and say that both of those people clamoring for the bevies we're gonna do it all right i'm gonna say we're gonna wait until after the season um for our mid-season award show and Let's just slap a date on it right here. Let's say Friday, October 23rd, Bevy's. Uh, what, what is this? The 9th? 8th? 9th? Some think the Bevy's. October 23rd. The, we forgot how many years we've been doing this for. I sh- um, we should just call it the something. The something. All right. So that gives me two months to figure out which song I can butcher um, to basically have blood shoot out of Derek Arnold's ears. Oh, is there a musical portion of the bevies uh, there is always a musical portion that immediately makes everyone go and plus next 15 seconds next 15 seconds next 15 <laughs> seconds okay it's over that's that's very true <laughs> all right anything well, else going on in birdland that you want to talk about no thank you for indulging my uh, total bs corner not an issue that is what oils baseball is all about so let's go ahead and figure out who is good who is bad and who is ugly this week in Orioles baseball Oh! <laughs> 
All right, Scott, I'm going to get started this week with my good. I am not blinking twice. I do not need help. In all seriousness, my good this week is Tom Eshelman. Tom Eshelman came into a game this week to eat up 4.1 innings after the starter got knocked out, and he kept the opponents off the board. And and this is the only thing, in my view, that Tom Eshelman should be doing. Like, this right here is his ceiling. He had a thing to do, and he did it. And if he can remain on a major league uh, roster, on a, on a 26 or a 28-man roster, this is the role I think that Tom Eshelman has. He's clearly not a starter. I I do not know what an effective reliever he can be, but as a not mop up, that's the wrong that's the wrong way to phrase it. But as someone who can come in to chew up innings and and meaningfully so, this is as good as it gets. So for once, I'm going to praise him, and I I'm putting him my good because I feel like I always crap on him. My good this week, Tom Eshel. Yeah, that Sunday performance was really impressive. Um, you know, when he came into the game, I said, well. So much for that series. We had a chance to tie it. Um, Not going to happen. And he gritted it out. I mean, it wasn't super impressive, but he managed to, you know, get the Orioles into a position where they could contend. And, you know, sure enough, the Orioles were able to to win that game. Um, Just a really impressive, I hate to use the word gritty, but it was a gritty performance, um, all things considering. Um, My good for the week is going to go to Kevin Brown. Uh, Like I said, I thought he did a great job. Um, this past weekend, um, I think, you know, it wasn't just myself, a bunch of folks felt that way. My favorite part though, was, um, at the end of the game on, on Sunday, um, you know, when the Orioles are talking, uh, when the Orioles broadcasts are talking and they're talking about the Orioles leading five to two, uh, Kevin Brown goes out on a limb here and talks about the Boston Red Sox. And I, I think it's so eloquently put. I mean, you look at some of these pitching numbers for the Red Sox this season and, some of the injuries that have befallen them, and you think, boy, it must be hard to be a Red Sox broadcaster this season. Anytime you're able to, in essence, pull up a recording of Dennis Eckersley um, and, and basically just trash him as part of the process, um, it just is a win. And again, this is the kind of quick-witted aspect that Kevin Brown does where he drops something in there um, that you really got to be paying attention to but it's kind of a callback to a previous incarnation. And this is a great one where, of course, Denary Secretary said that um, he kind of felt bad for the broadcasters that had to cover the Orioles. Um, and, and again, Kevin Brown calling out Eckersley on this given matter, I think it's just a, a touch of genius. Um, and I'm looking yeah. forward to similar touches of genius in the near future. It was delightful. Delightful. All right. My bad this week is going to go to Renato Nunez, who disappeared. He was just nowhere to be found. With uh, almost the team-leading number of at-bats, he had a 20-weighted runs created plus. He struck out at a rate of 39.3% and had only a .037 ISO. And he did all this despite having a .353 BABIP. Renato Nunez was bad this week. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean... In that similar category, Hanser Alberto has been bad for for quite a while now. He just seems kind of lost to the plate. Um, you know, over the past 14 days, he's posting a 76 weighted runs created plus. I mean, he's not even doing well against left-handed pitchers, too. Um, I, I think he's just in a slump right now. Um, but just his approach even to the plate with some of his swings are just odd. Uh, we haven't seen this from Hanser Alberto in quite a while. So 
hopefully Orioles can get him back on track because um, it's not fun to see Hanser Alberto struggling up there at the plate. Absolutely. That's that's actually bad. All right. My ugly for this week goes to us, Scott, you and I. I've got to take responsibility. We have to take responsibility for what we did to the Orioles. We personally broke them last week. After coming on this podcast and talking about how much fun the team was to watch, talking about how much it was enjoyable to watch them play and and win games, what were we thinking? Of course we put the jinx on them. At some point this week, Scott, I literally had to look up the last game that they won. In the depths of that losing streak, I lost all sight of what life was like before we opened our big fat mouths on this podcast and jinxed the Orioles. Bird's eye view was absolutely ugly this past week. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still think even during the losing streak, there is some, still sometimes fun baseball to be had. Um, but that being said, if nothing is coming of it, it's a good time to get in and get caught up on sleep. But but you're absolutely right, Jake, that um, during that losing streak, there was nothing good uh, going on. There was no fun baseball. There was no competitive spirit. It was just like, oh, we lost another game. Oh, we lost another game. Um, but I think looking back at the Red Sox series, there was some fun there. And, you know, tonight's game against the Tampa Bay Rays, again, didn't turn out so fun. I, I think we're going to continue to kind of see this streaky team of fun some nights, kind of disastrous the next night. Um, and again, it just kind of replicates what their talent level is. Um, and, we'll, and we'll kind of go from there. I think the most ugly thing right now for me for the Baltimore Orioles, and again, this is a you know, a common theme so far, has got to be John Means. You know, over the past two weeks, he's come out and pitched in four games. He's got two losses at this point: a ten point one three ERA, a seven point six three FIP. You know, coming into the season, we talked about what could John Means be, and I said, you know, I don't think he's number one or number two, but I think he could easily be at number three or number four. And, and right now, John Means isn't that. I mean, he doesn't have command. You know, the, the catcher will put, you know, the, the, the glove on the outside of the plate. Ball will come over the middle of the plate. Um, you know, velocity is up a little bit. But again, you know, either the delivery is off, um, you know, the mechanics are off. Um, he's releasing the ball at a different place and, and the batter's able to jump all over it. Um, John Means has just been bad in general. And it, it's been really disappointing to see. Um not just because he's not going deep in the game since he's doing so poorly, but John Means should be a part of the future for the Baltimore Orioles. It doesn't have to be, you know, a spotlight role, um, but I really want to see John Means succeed as that number three or number four starter. And, and right now, I, I'm raising questions in my head of, is John Means going to be that pitcher? Um, and that's the most ugly thing right now, I think, on the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, well, well said. Um he, he makes me the sads right now. All right. Well, that, uh, why don't we go ahead and close this out and let's blow the save. All right, Scott. Well, I'm going to blow the save by just, you know, thanking uh, you for, for helping me, uh, you know, satisfy another customer every once in a while i'll i'll wander over wander over to itunes to to check out the reviews you know just to 
to see how we're connecting with folks that listen to the show. I'm, I'm baffled that anybody spends an hour a week uh, with us listening to us uh, banter back and forth. But it does happen, and, and we love you. Thanks for doing that. Some of you are so kind to, to leave some thoughts for us. And I just wanted to recognize this one. Uh, it, it, it made me chuckle. Uh, it started off by, by saying, your baseball content is nice, which that, that made me feel good. Um, although, it continues, you're both extremely pessimistic. I mean, Scott, do you think that's fair? Do you think, do you think it's, it's fair that we're, we're both extremely pessimistic? I would say we're realistic Orioles fans. So, okay, not so, pessimistic, so but yeah. Extremely pessimistic. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Once you step outside of sports and go political, your true ignorance is seen. Scott, uh, I think it, it, that's an unfair statement because I think that my ignorance is seen basically any time I open my mouth. Um, it continues on. Stick to what you quote unquote know and stay in your lane. Emancipate yourself from your naivete. Scotty, do you feel like you want to... Emancipate yourself, emancipate yourself from your naivete? Uh, every single day I want to emancipate myself from my naivete. Um, I, I want to get away from um, the ignorance and bias that basically pollute my mind uh, on a daily basis. So, yeah, um, I certainly want to emancipate myself on a daily basis. Didn't your grandma ever warn you that emancipating yourself from your naivete would make you go blind? Uh, it just giving me hairy hands, but that's a whole other matter. Huh. Well... You know, another satisfied customer. I'm sorry we didn't do it for this guy or, or gal. Uh, we'll try to do better next time. If you have any thoughts to share with us, please do. You can get us all over the place, and you're even welcome to leave us a nasty review. Uh, it, 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 it makes our day. And that, that is our show. Remember that you can find this and the entire catalog of indispensable episodes, episodes at Birds Eye View Baltimore. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. It helps us to deal with our naivety. And, uh, you know, it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com where you can... Uh, tell us to stick to what we quote unquote know. You can find us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Stick to sports and let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.